This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. This time on the Out of Water podcast, we're bringing you part of a message from Pastor Sam Kastensmith in his series, The Miracle Behind the Miracles. In this episode, Sam discusses a few bizarre miracles, which were recorded during a very wicked period in Israel's history, the period of the judges. In these miracles, we find that God loves to redeem the lost, no matter how bad their past might be, and he will not tolerate abusive behaviors done in the name of religion, even if you're the high priest of Israel. Let's go to the Ingram Center Theater at Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Sam Kastensmith. Every single one of these miracles that you find in the Bible is just bursting forth with a message of his gospel and his love. Today we're going to park for two miracles that are just kind of weird, and one of them has always bothered me until recently, because it's just weird. But it's the period of the judges. And so if, you're, if you know Bible history timelines, right at about 1500 BC, you have Moses leading them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then you've got this long 400-year period of the judges, and right at the tail end of the judges, Israel gets unbelievably wicked, really, really bad. And other things start happening in the world. God is preparing Israel to become a mighty kingdom. And this in and of itself, this isn't one of the miracles, but it, it may as well should be, because what happens Israel, if you look at the map of where Israel is, in the ancient world, you have these really powerful kingdoms, and you have Egypt over here. This is the mightiest empire in the history of the world, and over here, you've got Babylon and Assyria. Up here, you have the Hittites, and all of these massive empires are all crowding out where Israel is, right? And so, they almost all of this area's history, they're vassal states, which means they're allowed to be independent, but they have to pay taxes to somebody else for protection. And so what happens is you have something called the Bronze Age Collapse, and nobody can explain what this is, why it happened. But all of a sudden, famine and disaster strikes all of these different lands and makes them so weak that their militaries are just decimated. Because of that, because you don't have big powerful enemies this kingdom can expand. And so the reason why they think that happened, and this jives with the scripture, they look at pollen samples that are buried down in the dirt. And you can tell by different types of pollen what kind of plants were growing. And prior to this period in the book of Judges, Israel used to grow plants and unbelievable fauna that required lots of water. So it was lush. Then all of a sudden at this time period, they transitioned and started growing only those sorts of crops and trees that could survive on very little water. In other words, that whole region of the world just started going into famine. And that's why when you open up the book of Ruth, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Well, we know that now. There was a famine, and it caused all these other nations around Israel to shrink, and it was ready for the king. But just before the king comes, you have the end of the book of Judges. The last judge, you know who he is? 
Before Samuel, you have the last judge, and he's a real scoundrel. His name is Samson. And he's supposed to be a Nazarite. He's supposed to be set aside for God. He's supposed to not drink. He's supposed to not touch dead things. He's supposed to never shave his head. And he is totally set apart for the Lord. And so they recently found this seal that dates right to the time of Samson in a town called Beth Shemesh, which is only two miles away from where Samson lived. And on the coin, you see it commemorated a man fighting a lion. Well, that's one of the famous stories of Samson. What does the scripture say? The spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat, Judges 14.6. And so this leads to one of those miracles that's just really, really troubling. Here's a man who gets strength from having long hair. Say what? Like, this sounds like a Marvel comic hero or something. He gets strength from having long hair. Like, I can't explain the what. I don't know how. I can go through all the other questions and go, I got nothing. And I used to have nothing for the why. But we're going to talk about this. So here you have Samson, and he is commemorated in history. And this is the story. He kills this lion, and then he gives a riddle. This is just bonus stuff, because I love this riddle. He says to them, to the Philistines who are coming against him, he says, let me put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is, then I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, okay, put your riddle to us that we can hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Does anybody know the answer to the riddle? It's a lion filled with honey, a dead lion that he's killed, right? And after it died, bees came and began to build honeycomb or whatever inside the lion. And so that's the answer to the riddle. But just even something like that, this isn't the miracle, by the way, but just even something like that, what do you hear in that? What is honey known for? It is the only food that what? It never spoils, It's the only food that never rots. It's it's everlasting. If it's natural honey, it will never go bad. And so hear this. Inside the dead lion is food that will never perish. And if you can figure out that riddle, you get a change of clothing. Inside the dead lion. What does Jesus call him? The Bible calls Jesus what? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he, said, he comes and he says, feast on me, eat me, and you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst, you have eternal life. And if you come to him, you're clothed in his perfect righteousness. He gives you a change of clothing. And that, okay, so that's cool, but that's not the miracle. Here's the miracle. He has some, some, some women problems. I couldn't find a better graphic for this, so I chose this ridiculous thing from the sun. Why, why, Delilah? Outrages. Mistress snips Samson's hair. And so this is, this is what, when Delilah comes and says, the Philistines are coming to her saying, we need to know the source of his strength. And she's trying to undermine him. And so she'll go to him and say, What's, please tell me the source of your strength. And he lies to her three times. And after the third time, she starts weeping and says, you don't really love me. When every time after she thinks she knows the source of the secret, men rush in and Samson fights them off or whatever, it's clear that she's betraying him. And so eventually after she cries and says, oh, you know, 
you don't love me, you're not telling me the truth. Samson tells her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. I'll become weak and be like any other man. And so sure enough, she, he goes to sleep. It says the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And so you know the story, right? What happens with Samson? He's outside and they say, hey, I've got an idea. It'd be really cool if we parade Israel's greatest judge, their warrior, and let's parade him into the temple of Dagon and show everybody our trophy. And so Samson, blind, with his hair growing back, comes into the temple of Dagon, can't see anything, and he says to someone near me, he says, put me near the central pillars. And Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, And he pushed with all of his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. So here you see those two two central columns in this picture of Dagon's temple that's in the city of Gaza. Not the one that Samson was in, but it's a temple of Dagon. It's an archaeological dig. And what they found that's unique in all that region is that Dagon's temple didn't have outer walls supporting the structure. They had two central columns just like Samson's talking about here. And so, okay, that's, that's really fascinating. But think, what's the picture here that's going on? Samson's a mess. He's not a godly guy. He's, I mean, he's not supposed to touch dead things. He's touching dead lions. He's not supposed to marry pagan women. He's all over that. He's not supposed to cut his hair. He gives away the secret. He, he shows almost no interest in God for his whole life. But when they put him between the two pillars, you know what he does? He prays. It's the first, like it's the first time you've seen Samson do something where it's like, oh, he actually does care about God. And what's the picture? Here you have Samson between a column on this side, a column on this side. His arms are outstretched. And what does he do? He gives his life. He lays down his life so that the people of Israel can have freedom. His last prayer is, God, just give me one more act of strength and I'll give my life. Do you know that in Hebrews 11, it lists this guy as a hero in the hall of faith? What? And we're still left with this question of, what about the hair? Like, how in the world does that make sense? And this story just gets more beautiful the more you understand history. So recently, as archaeology intensifies, what they have found is all of these tablets. So to tell us a little bit about who Dagon is. So here's a picture of Dagon from ancient art. And the top half of him is a man. The bottom half of him is a fish. And this is debated in the last 50 years, but throughout almost all of history, that is agreed upon who Dagon is. And he's the god of agriculture, fertility, and the afterlife. How do we know that? Because we've found all these tablets. Show these, these are the tablets that they have found all over the place, written in cuneiform, and they've been translated. 
And so I just want to read to you like just a sampling of how we know what we know about Dagon because it, man, it makes these stories so rich when you get who he is. Here's one. The ecstatic, which is another way of saying prophet. So you remember when Elijah's having the contest against the prophets of Baal and they're cutting themselves and crying and doing all these things like crazy prophets? That's an ecstatic. The ecstatic of Dagon came and addressed me as follows. So this is a messenger coming to the king at that time over the place, the, the land of Mari. And he says that God sent me to hurry right to the king to offer mortuary sacrifices for the shade of Yadulim. So this is the king's dad. And what Dagon is demanding, you need to offer me mortuary sacrifices. In other words, he's the God of the afterlife. He controls whether or not dead people live whether they have hope of afterlife or resurrection. This is what the ecstatic said to me. I have therefore written to my Lord that my Lord do what pleases him. Or here's another letter where Dagon says, send me your messengers, lay your full report before me, and then I will have the kings of the Ammonites cooked on fishermen's sticks, and I will lay them before you. So he's a fisherman. He's, he's a god of the sea, right? Well, what is the sea? What is the emblem? Like you see it, it's the symbolism of the sea again and again. Remember, it always represents death and judgment. And so here, Dagon is a fish. He's the fish god of the sea, death. He's the god of the afterlife. And so here's the last one. As I was reading through this stuff, I went, that's really weird. So as I read through this particular stone, this was what another messenger had to say. My Lord, you should deal with this. The man who told me this dream was to offer a sacrifice to Dagon, and so I did not send him on. Moreover, since this man was trustworthy, I did not take any of his hair or the fringe across his garment. And I read that, and I thought, all right, wait a minute. Samson, hair, Dagon, all that stuff's going together. And this is saying, here's a messenger going to, and the worship of Dagon, right? who's saying, I didn't need to take his hair because I found him to be trustworthy. So I started doing research, and I started researching how you, do, you did divination, like sorcery arts in the ancient cult of Dagon. You know what, you've, what I found? This is crazy. When a prophet came to the temple of Dagon, and he said, I have a word from the gods, they would cut his hair, and they would take us, they believed that you could divine things by a person about his hair. Like, for example, here's a kooky one that if your chest hair curled upward, you were going to be a slave. Right? Like weird things like that. But they would take your hair to see if you were truly a prophet, if the word of God truly dwelt in you. So now stop for a moment. In the temple of Dagon, a person's hair determined whether or not the Word of God, the Spirit of God, dwelled in a person. So God, you remember how he judges the gods of Egypt with all the plagues? And he, he like entertains this idea that the Nile River is really Osiris' bloodstream to show that, no, this is, there's no power in Osiris. He's a fake god. And so here you have the cult of Dagon that's determining whether the power and the Word of God dwells in a man by their hair and it just so happens, Samson's hair is cut and his strength goes. If the power of God and the word of God and the spirit of God are to be determined by a person's hair, where is Samson's strength coming from? 
God, right? So he loses his hair. He's lost the power, the word, the spirit of God. And then when it begins to grow again, what do you hear in that? There's a resurrection there. And so in that moment, he gives his life to rescue everyone else. But the hair is not just some kooky Marvel superhero deal. Like that is where the power in their eyes dwelt. If this man has strength in his hair, he must contain the power of God. So then you fast forward after Samson, Samuel's story comes up and the the high priest's name is Eli and he's got two really wicked sons. Do you know their names? Hophni and Phinehas. And this is when Israel is just absolutely disgusting. They, they live in a theocracy where the law of God is supposed to be running the show, where, where everything is supposed to be good, but they just exploit it. They use religion to trample people into the ground. It is nasty. And Hophni and Phinehas are taking advantage of women at the temple, they're taking, or the tabernacle. They're, they're taking bribes. They're exploiting the wealth that comes to God. And God's had about enough of it, right? Samuel goes to Eli and says, you need to rein in your sons. And Eli's like, oh, you know, boys will be boys. I'm not going to intervene. And so one day, they're getting destroyed in battle by the Philistines. And they come up with this great idea. Hey, remember back in the days of Joshua when he fought against Jericho? How did he win the battle? They won the battle by taking the Ark of the Covenant and parading it around the city and where God dwelled. And so maybe if we take the Ark of the Covenant... Out into battle, God will be our good luck charm. Do we ever do that? Do we ever treat God like he's just a good luck charm? Maybe if I bring him into this battle, I'll win. So anyway, Hophni and Phinehas and the priests take him into battle, and they get absolutely routed. Routed. And the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant. They capture it. And they take it off to their own cities. And so this is the beginning of the story. The elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. And so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned in the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And so the Philistines fought And Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. So when word comes back, the man says to Eli, a messenger from battle says, I am he who's come in from the battle. Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat on the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. I hope that's never my epigraph. He was old and heavy. Thanks for throwing that in there. And so his two sons are dead, and he's got a broken neck, and he dies. And the Philistines are taking the Ark of the Covenant to their hometown to celebrate and to, to, to parade it around like they did with Samson, right? So when the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, and then the Philistines took the Ark of God, 
brought it. This is so cool. Our God is just so cool. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod arose the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. What does that look like? It looks like a posture of worship, right? He has fallen prostrate on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they bring him in. The next morning, he's prostrate on the ground. Day two, he's prostrate on the ground in the morning. And so they took Dagon, and here's the people having to lift up their God. It's supposed to be comical. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they arose the next morning, what morning is this? It's the morning of the third day. Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon, and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. So his arms are gone, his legs are gone, now he just looks like a fish laying before the ark of the Lord on the third day. I don't know what's there, but remember all the significance and symbolism behind the fish? Now let me retell the story. You have a really, really, really wicked group of Israelite priests. And they treat God like he is nothing more than a good luck charm. They're only concerned about their own power, their own influence, preserving their reputation. And so what do they do? In their foolishness and in their wickedness, they take him, hold him, escort him, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles will take him and will put him into a temple of death. But on the morning of the third day, death is now bowing down. Destroyed, defeated with a mortal injury to the head. What do you hear in that? Is that not the story of Jesus? The Ark of the Covenant is the place where God's glory dwells. That's the way Jesus is described at the beginning of the Gospels. He's the Word. We beheld His glory. He's the Word of God in a tent of flesh. And what happens? Who hates Him more than anyone? The religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, they can't stand Him. They just want to preserve their religious title, their reputation. And, and God is nothing more than a good luck charm. And so they escort bound Jesus and they hand him over to who? To the Gentiles. And the Gentiles put him in a, on a cross. And for three days, dead. On the morning of the third day, death is defeated. The serpent's head is crushed. And God is preaching this story to the God Dagon, who's supposed to be, right? The God of the sea, the God of the afterlife, defeated by the Ark of the Covenant. And so you look at these stories, and and here's what's also very fascinating about this. It shows you the holiness of God, and it's one of those things where when we hear it, we should give ourselves a deep gut check, because how does God defeat the enemy pagan God? He falls down, his head is cut off, his hands are cut off, and then you stop for a moment and you think, okay, in the ancient world, do you know what they referred to your sons as? The son of my right hand was my firstborn, the son of my left hand, right? So what happens to the leading priests of Israel and their wickedness? 
he falls off of his chair and breaks his neck, and his two sons are dead. His head off, his hands off. And so here's what God is saying. You may think that I'm just in this against the Philistines, against those other people, and I'm going to bring judgment on Dagon because he's one from the other tribe. The harsh judgment falls on the house of Israel too. He will break Eli's neck and take his two sons who exploited people in the name of God. God will not tolerate it. That's, that's an encouragement, by the way, to those that have ever been oppressed or hurt by the church. The Lord will not tolerate that, ultimately. All those people that Hophni and Phinehas had abused, God is saying of Eli, of Hophni and Phinehas, they're no different than the pagans. This is not my people. And so he brings judgment on them. Thanks, Sam. And thank you, friends, for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a good rating. That will help others find the podcast also. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.